from NJ.com. This is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome on in, Giants fans, to the latest episode of the Talk is Cheap podcast right here on NJ.com. As always, I'm Matt Lombardo, joined by my friend and colleague, Zach Rosenblatt. And it's been a little bit of a hiatus, but as you're listening to this, the Giants officially have broken training camp, and you have Dave Gettleman, the general manager, and Joe Judge, the head coach, now meeting to put together the 53-man roster. And certainly, Zach, football is right around the corner, but it has been a busy summer and a busy training camp and a training camp unlike anything you and I have ever seen for the Giants yeah it's uh I mean we I feel like every time we've had one of these and by the way I just wanted I do want to apologize that we haven't gotten you guys in in a couple weeks I I was dealing with some stuff away from the job that I had to take care of um we're gonna get back to a weekly thing but yeah um this training camp like even just going to practices like it just felt so much different watching it you know we can only stand in these specific spots so it's like hard to see things if they're in certain fields and you don't you don't really get like the one of the most fun parts about training camp was always like those five guys that nobody had heard of before training camp and then you know they they look amazing in training camp and they become stars for a couple weeks and we all write fun stories about them and then maybe they never play a game in the nfl but like for those like four or five weeks or whatever like that's all anybody in the fan base wants to talk about it that kind of like there's like some guys that fans have latched onto but that's purely just based on like what we've seen in the pad of practices over the last couple of weeks. And we only see what Joe judge wants us to see at the same time also. So it's like, hard, it's like so much harder to get a read on, like, especially with a new coaching staff and a mysterious guy like Joe judge, where you can't like look at his history of roster building. Um, it's like way harder to get a read on like maybe what they're thinking. Like we're, we're all really guessing. We, we feel like we have some ideas. Some guys have looked really good. It makes certain sense at certain positions, but we don't know what positions Joe Judge values more than others. We don't know which guys he likes, you know, what size types he looks for, if he prefers guys who can play special teams or if he likes guys that are, you know, a really good receiver. Like, there's just so much unknown. So we're all kind of guessing. It's educated guessing, but we are guessing. Yeah, and what's really fascinating and really different is because of everything going on with the pandemic, of course, there weren't fans in the seats and usually training camp. It's a circus-like atmosphere, right? And, you know, this is your first summer covering the Giants, Zach, so you didn't really have any experience with this in years past, but the Giants would put up temporary bleachers all around the practice fields and there would be five ten thousand people there every single day and this year the fans are really out of sight out of mind and you know that that's where you know reading the website and following along on twitter and signing up for the giants extra tech service has really been a lifeline i would assume for fans to kind of get a glimpse of what's going on in the field and we're going to get into all of it we're going to get into the guys who have kind of jumped off the page for zach and i during these practices of course the big news of the week the logan ryan Ryan signing and really what has made this an unprecedented training camp, not just because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but everything that Joe Judge has imported with him. Some things that have been mainstays with his time with the New England Patriots, some things might just be part of his personality and the type of team and the type of culture that he's trying to build here. But before we get into all of that, if you like what you hear, we would love if you would subscribe on the Apple Podcast Store, so check us out on YouTube, throw us a like on there, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher. 
Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Zach Blatt. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And of course, if you would love to, you know, get involved with us away from Twitter and away from the podcast, go ahead and sign up for your free trial of the Giants Extra Tech Service. You can get a hold of that at nj.com slash text. But Zach, since training camp is over and, and the next meaningful football will be the regular season opener on September 14th, I, I think that it's it's best that we started the news of the week, and that's the signing of Logan Ryan. It's a move that, as you reported earlier today on NJ.com, has been kind of weeks and maybe even months in the making, and it's a much-needed move and a much-needed upgrade in a secondary that, other than James Bradbury, is really filled with a lot of question marks. Yeah, you know, we, we criticize Dave Gettleman a lot, and, and a lot of it is just most of it is justified, I think. Um, but I think he deserves credit for the way he played this Logan Ryan situation. Um, I know there's a question of like, why'd they wait so long? Uh, I think you look at it and he was asking for too much money and being in, free, in a beginning of free agent, I heard he was asking for at least $10 million per season. Clearly nobody wanted to give him that or he would have signed it somewhere. The Giants decided that was too much money. They turned their attention to James Bradbury, drafted Darnay Holmes, and decided they were kind of going to let these young guys you know, lead the secondary. Xavier McKinney, they drafted in the second round. And, you know, you have Jabril Peppers coming back, and they're really high in Julian Love. So they kind of just decided to turn their attention elsewhere. And then, you know, maybe we can check back with them if the price goes down. So then they go through training camp. They get, you know, into the pad of practices. And first uh, is Xavier McKinney suffers a foot. This happened since the last our last podcast. Xavier McKinney suffers a foot injury that might wind up costing him the season potentially. Um, and he, he was going to play a very important role in that secondary. And then uh, Logan Ryan switches agents, and then all of a sudden things just like speed up over the course of like 36 hours. Uh, they talk to the Giants. He really wants to play for Joe Judge. Uh, he's willing to take a lot less money, albeit he wants to play safety, which I feel like a lot of the we're, we were going to talk about this anyway. But a lot of the fan base has kind of been under the impression that he's going to fill the void they have at corner. That void really isn't getting filled by Logan Ryan. At least that's not my impression. I, my impression, I, I don't get that impression yeah. at all. My impression I think they signed replacing him. Xavier McKinney. He's not right. replacing uh, you know whoever they were going to play at outside corner. No, I agree. And I think that when you look at Logan Ryan's skill set, and you know, I talked to several scouts and a personnel director uh, earlier this week, right after Ryan signed, and you know, the impression that a lot of these guys have of Logan Ryan at this stage of his career is um, he's an above-average safety, maybe a very good safety. He is a a middle-of-the-road nickel cornerback and a not-so-great outside corner. So, if Giants fans are holding out hope that he's going to be starting opposite James Bradbury, that's just likely not going to happen. And I think that when you look at the things that you like about Logan Ryan, he brings a veteran presence. He's a guy that has always been around the football. Last year, he had an overall grade from pro football focus of 65. So he's going to walk in and be Zach, the Giants' second highest graded player in that secondary. But his skill set right now, and, and one scout told me that he's more you know, intangibles and and mental makeup and intelligence and smarts than he is speed at this point. And that, you know, if teams are lining up in man coverage and, you know, the Giants are lining man coverage up against an offense and they match speed on speed, Logan Ryan's going to lose that matchup almost every time. But if you put him at safety, 
He's the type of guy, similar to McKinney, who can drop into the nickel if you need to, if you're playing a too high safety look. He's a guy that, if you're going to put your Brill Peppers up near the line of scrimmage in the box against the run, can play high safety. And you can feel confident putting him back there. And he's a veteran presence to help mentor young guys that they have a lot of high hopes for. You brought up Darnay Holmes. Julian Love might have been the Giants' most consistent and most dominant defensive back during this training camp. And bringing Ryan in is just another voice in that room to help develop these guys and bring out the best of them in addition to what he's going to bring you on the field. Yeah, and I think there's two sides of the Logan Ryan discussion because on one hand, I think Giants fans like really wanted to sign him in part because they view him as this like, you know, this great shutdown corner. The, the reality of Logan Ryan is he's not a shutdown corner, but he's a significant upgrade over what they had in the secondary last year. If you just look at his numbers, he's a playmaker and they didn't really have any of those. I mean, they wanted Xavier McKinney to be that. Logan Ryan has proven he can be that elite. He would, if you look at his stats, he would have led the Giants in tackles last year. He would have led them. He would have tied for the lead in interceptions with Janoris Jenkins. Uh, he would have led him past deflections. He would have led him force fumbles. And he had three and a half sacks, which would have been the second most on the Giants. Or four and a half, sorry. He had four and a half, which would have been the second most on the Giants tied with uh, O'Shane um, and Lorenzo Carter, I believe. So, I, he he clearly like brings something they didn't have. He, he's he maybe isn't like a Pro Bowl caliber guy at this point in his career. He maybe he will be at safety. I don't know, but they need guys who can. He's still a Swiss Army knife. He's yeah. a guy that's versatile, and, I mean, they, and if you listen to Joe Judge and you listen to Patrick Graham, versatility is the name of the game, right? And that's the 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 role that they had envisioned for Xavier McKinney. They thought McKinney could play safety. They thought that he would be the guy who plays deep center field unless Jabril Peppers kind of freelance, but they also loved at Alabama when he would be able to drop in the nickel, and they, they envisioned a very similar role for McKinney in the NFL to what he was able to do at Alabama. And, and I think that when you look at Logan Ryan's track record and you look at his production of, of the past year or two he really fits that bill to a t yeah and this kind of goes back to you know we the last couple podcasts we did we were saying how our biggest concern was the number two cornerback spot and this doesn't solve that at all so they that still remains their biggest hole in this roster um it seems like darnay holmes is going to be the nickel corner i think julian love is more likely to be like the number three safety that kind of can play a couple spots and then who does that leave at the the boundary corner spot? That's Corey Ballantyne. I mean, Chris Williamson basically didn't even practice for a while because he was banged up. The rookie. Um, I mean, who even they have the undrafted guy Jaron Williams, who's been like the the options are like really poor. And I wonder if they're still. I mean, they just traded for a guy in the Broncos named Isaac Yayadome. I don't know if I pronounced that right. I don't really know much about him. Apparently, he was not very well liked by the fan base in Denver because they all said that he's not very good. So that that is still like a significant issue the the second cornerback spot especially because even if you want to say we can shuffle logan ryan over there and and put julian love at safety like logan ryan has historically not been very good as an outside corner so i still have significant questions about that and their ability to stop the pass almost because of that yeah, I think that one of the the things that I think was a little bit disappointing during this training camp, and, and certainly Darnay Holmes ex- wildly exceeded my expectations, and you saw the interception that he had in the scrimmage. You know, the first scrimmage at Quest Diagnostics Training Center two weeks ago, he was always around the football, but he was almost always in the slot. And I think that, you know, you look at James Bradbury on one side and it wasn't really a flashy camp for Bradbury, even though in that same scrimmage, he had a nice pass break up in the end zone when he did get beat by Sterling Shepard and, you know, still punched the ball out. That's the type of playmaking ability and the ability to recover that the Giants have lacked in that secondary. But Zach, one of the things that kind of disappointed me was you almost saw 
what the Giants have in Darnay Holmes in the slot. And I, I wanted to see more. And I kept going up there every single day, wondering when we were going to see more of Darnay Holmes on Great the point. outside. And, and you know, it, it didn't go all that well when he was on the outside, but this is one of these settings where it's in practice. You're not throwing him out there in a game. You're not throwing him on an Island, put him on the outside and give him the chance to win that job. Because your other option is someone like Corey Ballantyne. And I don't know that Corey Ballantyne is even a lock to make this roster right now, especially after what I saw in practice on Wednesday, you know, there were a lot of plays, three or four on deep passes to Darius Slayton on the outside where you couldn't tell whether the defense was going full speed or not because of just how badly Ballantyne was beaten and how slow he was in coverage on the outside. And Julian Love, by contrast, he might have been from top to bottom, first practice to last, their most consistent and most dominant defensive player. So they're going to want to get and probably going to need to get Julian Love on the field. And if you bring Logan Ryan in to play safety, there are only two spots for Julian Love. And they moved into safety a year ago because they didn't think he was fast enough to play on the outside. Now, maybe he showed them enough in training camp to feel confident to throw him out there on the boundary corner this time. But I almost would have liked to have seen them get more experience for Holmes on the boundary and Love love into the slot because I think that's where he's best suited right now. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, you know, they, they talk about this versatility so much and these guys can all play multiple positions, but it doesn't seem like they trust any of them to play outside corner in addition to their other responsibilities. You know, you don't you don't see Darnay Holmes play on the outside. You don't see Julian Love play on the outside. You don't see Jabril Peppers play on the outside. I know there was like a big there's like a big plot line that should he play some corner? Maybe he, maybe he's the sneaky option. And there's yeah, I don't think that's gonna. Happen. I, I don't think that's the thing either. Like, <laughs> like that's the thing. We're like grasping at straws at this point because like there's no way they can go into the season with Corey Ballantyne as a starter. Like that's crazy. Yeah, we're going to get to this later when we talk about surprise cuts. Corey Ballantyne's a guy that it would not shock me yeah. if at 4.01 on Saturday afternoon, Corey Ballantyne isn't on the 53-man roster. And I, I, I guarantee you, I mean, like you said, we're going to talk about this, but they're they're going to be scouring the waiver wire this weekend. For they already are. They brought in yeah. 10 players I mean, over the last yeah. four days. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty insane um, that they've done that. But yeah, I think corner in particular is a position that, you know, they, they have no reason not to. There's going to be, I mean, the, the Eagles could cut Sidney Jones or Razul Douglas and either they should try and tra- the, the Giants should trade for Razul Douglas because he's better than any of these other outside corners they have here I think so yeah I agree and I think that Sidney Jones is a kid and you don't want to get too far in the weeds you yeah. know talking Eagles but we both have covered that team in our past and Sidney Jones is a former second round pick and I thought that he was just getting better and better over the last couple of years he'd be a nice addition to this secondary but you know I, I don't think He's going to shake loose, but if he does, the Giants have something like the third or fourth waiver priority. Exactly, so yeah. if they're shopping for cornerbacks and somebody like Rasul Douglas or Sidney Jones shakes loose, you could add a legitimate talent into that secondary. Yeah, um, and I think you're seeing with Joe Judge, and I mean you had better you have better knowledge of what uh, you know the the team was doing around this time the last couple of years, but usually when a when a team at the end of training camp starts claiming a bunch of guys, that means that in reality, they're not all too excited about whatever position they keep adding guys at, you know, like they, like they said, the Giants just signed um, John Jalapio got brought back. So we, we both probably think Spencer Pulley is on the way out of this. I would, I mean, not to put words in your mouth. Um, that's, that would be my guess. Um, they signed a receiver, Johnny Holton, who is like a gunner. And it sounds like I, he might make the team, honestly. I mean, you don't yeah, sign he's probably these... going to fill that void left yeah. by Cody Core. Cody Core, yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Like you don't sign these guys in a training camp when you don't really get to see them that much anyway, and it's going to take these guys four days to even like be able to get on the field. Like you don't waste signing them and then just cut them right after that. I would think so. 
I mean, the long snapper they signed, they probably will cut. But, like, it, it, the way Joe Judge has just been, like, revamping the roster at the very end of training camp, it says that I don't know if he's that happy with, like, the depth at certain positions. Yeah, this has become a giant September tradition unlike any other, Zach. I remember two years ago, my first year covering the Giants beat, um, you, you know, you, you tend to think that by Sunday afternoon, the more, you know, the day after cutdown day, that, the you know, they might that, pick yeah. up one or two guys and, you know, you, you might have a couple changes and maybe there's a surprise addition to the practice squad. They claimed 11 players that Monday after wow, setting the fifth and So, you know, and you look at Joe Judge and there have been several guys who have been signed or claimed off waivers or, you know, cut after three days you know you think about Chandler Canizero the kicker who they signed and then he never took part in a fully padded practice and they signed Graham Gano off the street uh, who's been a pleasant surprise by the way but I think Graham Gano can be a weapon for them but my point here is you're right it, it just seems like the way the Giants have conducted business over the last three years and this summer over the last week or two is they're continuously churning the bottom of the roster in a way that I don't remember seeing a lot of other franchises do with this many guys coming in and out towards the end of training camp yeah and i mean you have to remember yeah i know joe judge you know he says all the right things about all of his whenever you ask him about a position group he says every every position group's doing great like it's always he doesn't he's not really big on like saying anything negative about anybody but you like it's important to remind yourself that like any returning players in particular like he has no ties to them so you know we, we might assume that because a guy you know, at the bottom of the roster looked good for them last year or you know or they invested highly in him like a Wayne Gallman type, like th- that doesn't make them a lock, even if like maybe the roster numbers are a certain way. Like Joe Judge is going to scour for players he's familiar with that he scouted um, and that he thinks could be a f- good fit with this team. And if it means cutting somebody who might not actually play at all for them anyway, like he's going to do it. I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. And I think that we saw that with some of the guys they brought in. And I think that John Halapio is a guy who's a favorite of this organization. And for good reason, he's a hard worker. He's a team leader in every facet. And he's a guy that they know what they're getting in John Halapio as a center. And, you know, I was up at practice almost every day. You saw a handful of practices, you know, with everything that was going on in your life at the time. And my impression of that center job is, I'm not surprised that John Halapia was yeah. re-signed because as much as everybody talked about Nick Gates being the guy at center, he never stole that job from Spencer Pulley and, and Pulley never separated himself from Gates, you know, and, and let's remember the Giants have a second year quarterback in Daniel Jones and, and few things are more important to the development of a young quarterback than the relationship and the stability that he has with his starting center. And, and Gates and him never seemed to get on the same page. And there was a practice, I believe it was Tuesday this week, when the Giants were working down in the red zone and they fumbled the exchange along the goal line and they both were sent running laps. And we'll yeah. get to the running laps and the kind of the punishment things and what's been different about Joe Judge's training camp as we roll along here. But that, that play, it was the second time it's happened where there's been either a false start or a fumbled exchange during practice. And that just can't happen. That, that sets you back and either turns the ball over or you're, you're pushed back five yards. So Jones worked with Jalapio a year ago. Jalapio is a stand-up locker room leader, and it didn't really work out with Gates. So it wouldn't shock me that John Jalapio doesn't make the team. It wouldn't shock me if week one he's the starting center either. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's kind of the wild part about it. But, yeah, you know, and, you know, like you said, John Jalapio is well-respected in the organization, but I'd say it's a bad thing if he's your starting center again this year. I don't think I think we went into the offseason thinking if they brought him back and he's a backup, that's fine. But you don't want him being your starter again. 
uh, especially at such an important position for Daniel. I mean, continuity would probably be good for Daniel Jones, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how they – maybe they want – I think they really like Shane Lemieux, and he's looked – you've seen more of him, but I think he's looked really good in camp so far. He's re- he's gotten some nasty to him, as Joe Judge yeah. likes to say. And I, I wonder if their goal is to make him their center long term. Long term, I think yes, but I think you still have to get through this year. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. And and Gates is a guy who college NFL has never played a snap at center yeah. in a game. And you know, that that's where, you know, they signed him to that extension right before camp began. They paid him almost starting right tackle money. And it almost made a lot more sense to put him at right tackle where he showed he can play at a high level a year ago, but it it just never seemed to work at center this summer. But we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll surprise us and Gates will wind up being the week one center, but right now who knows? Yeah. I guess while we're on the top of offensive line, we could, I think we should stick there. Um, I think number one, I think Andrew Thomas has looked pretty good um, as well as you can expect for a rookie. I think the right side is a much bigger concern right now. Um, Cam Fleming has got lit up in that scrimmage last week um, and he hasn't looked particularly good. And Matt Pert didn't look great today. I know he got beat a couple of times by Kyler Fackerell. Um, what's your level of concern at right tackle right now? Because, I, I mean, left tackle, you, you have to have some natural concern because he's a rookie, but I'm more concerned about right tackle. Yeah, I think that right now, at least with the start of camp, it looked like Camp Fleming was going to be competent over there. And then it just seemed like as camp went along, he just seemed like he was on on skates out there, quite frankly. And, and I think that it has not been good over the last couple of days. And I think long term, they want Matt Pert to be the answer. And you look at last week in the scrimmage, I think at least two of Lorenzo Carter's four and a half sacks came against Cam Fleming. Um, I, I don't know that Matt Pert is ready. You're talking about a kid who played college ball at UConn. You're talking about a guy that even in the NFL draft, the Giants viewed as a developmental prospect. So to throw him out there week one against the defensive line that has T TJ Watt and had something like the third or fourth most uh, sacks as a team a year ago just doesn't seem like the right answer, but neither does starting Cam Fleming. So, you know, Cam Fleming took almost every first team snap this entire training camp, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's an area they look to upgrade on the waiver wire. But you have to remember, Zach, if an offensive lineman, particularly a tackle, shakes loose after final cuts, there's probably a reason they got cut. Yeah, offensive linemen in particular, like, they don't grow on trees. Like, there's reasons why you see like mediocre guys stick around for so long is because they're the best available option. A lot of like, like Chance War. I, I hate to be keep going back to the Eagles, but Chance Warmack survived on the Eagles for like years past his expiration date. And yeah. like, there's always guys like that. And you know, the, the Giants didn't really add any veterans to the, the bench group. And I think that's why a guy like Chad Slade can even sneak onto the roster because he has some playing experience, um, like as a backup on the interior, but. Yeah, I think the the depth on the offensive line is definitely a question mark as well. Big time, because then, then you start going through the two deep and, you know, Taylor Haycroft is a guy who might yeah. sneak onto the roster. I mean, he's been playing center and he came in as a tackle. So Yeah, it, it just seems like they're trying to figure it out. And, and, you know, there's a lot to like about Andrew Thomas. He did get beat a couple times by Carter in that scrimmage, but he won his fair share of battles against Carter and against O'Shane Zimenez during this camp. I, I think you feel good about him. I think that, you know, you know what you have in a lot of respects when it comes to Will Hernandez and Mark Colombo being here this year, the Giants have pretty high hopes that you're going to start to see second round pick Will Hernandez come to the floor rather than just a guy who is trying to figure it out at the NFL level. And Kevin Zeitler had a little bit of a down year a year ago, but he was one of the top offensive guards in the league with the Cleveland Browns. So if those guys can put it together, maybe you give 
Cam Fleming or Matt Pert some help and you play a lot of jumbo sets because don't forget Jason Garrett with the Cowboys and certainly during a lot of practices this year they like to run a lot of two and even three tight end sets. So if you keep a Levine Toyolino or you, you want to run a two tight end set with Caden Smith and Evan Ingram, you can kind of hide a right tackle as you're waiting for someone to step up and steal that job. Yes, it's suboptimal if you're talking about taking one guy who could be running routes out of running routes and keeping him in line, but they might need to give whoever plays right tackle a little bit of blocking help. Or, I mean, you might even see them doing a thing that a lot of teams do uh, is bringing an extra offensive lineman out like in the tight end spot. Um, I don't yeah. know. Who, I don't know who that would be exactly. If Nick Gates isn't the starter at center, it would probably be him. Uh, if he does start at center, I, I don't know. Maybe you throw Pert over there. Maybe I'm trying to think. There's not really anyone else that would make sense, right? No, unless you're keeping Spencer Pulley. Yeah, and that's then, kind of a difficult know. thing here. They don't have the line the lineman to trust to even do that, really. No, they really don't. Um, let's take a more broad, big picture glimpse at training camp, Zach. From what you saw, what was your biggest takeaway from this camp? Because th- this was, I covered Chip Kelly. I've covered Doug <laughs> Peterson. I covered Pat Shermer. This was a different beast. Now, there are a yeah. lot of things that I think you could compare to Chip Kelly's first training camp. When all ha- we all know how that went. But yeah. there are a lot of things about Joe Judge that, you know, it, it it was physical, it was grueling, it was intense. It was just different, this camp, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, th- I think Joe Judge has to be the biggest takeaway here. Um, I don't think anybody, including in the Giants front office, thought that when training camp came around that there would be a point where Joe Judge's practice tactics would be the most talked about thing in the NFL. Um, like from day one of the padded practices when he did the nutcracker drill, and he removed the names from the jerseys and he yelled at Saquon Barkley and he made guys run laps. Like, all, it like blew up like wildfire. You had former players criticizing him, saying he's treating them like high school players. All, you know, Sterling Shepard said he hasn't he run, laps run laps for laps in high since school. middle school. Middle uh, school. Yeah, middle yeah. school. Yeah. I mean, so like, you know, there's that side of it. Um, then there, then I think there's another, like, and I think it's all, it's fair to question what he's doing because you've seen Patriots coaches. Fail. I mean, it sounds cliche to talk about it, but it's true. Matt Patricia did that. Eric Mangini definitely did that, and that failed. Um, so I think it's fair to talk about. But on the flip side of that, and I talked about this to somebody earlier, I, I, I didn't cover the last couple of training camps, like I said. But one, one thing that like just sticks out to me with Judge, like you said, it's very intense physical practices, but it's also like so well organized. It's a well-oiled machine. Everything moves really quick. They go from drill to drill to drill. I've never seen anything like that. You covered Chip Kelly. It might have been like that under Chip. It would make sense. Very similar. Was. Yeah. Um, it just like it. It just seems very. Everything seems very workmanlike. Like Joe Judge is everybody flowing in the same direction at least right now. Everybody is staying on message, and you know if if, if at very minimum that everybody is is doing what the coaches tell them, and they're you know just doing that they can at least understand what their job is and how to do it. That's probably a step up from what it's been under Pat Sherman the last two years, at least. Yeah, there was a practice last week. I want to say that it was Tuesday or Wednesday leading up to the Friday scrimmage where it was just it was fascinating to watch. It was very methodical, like you said, because you would go from a full team 11 on 11 drill to an up tempo individual period where you'd be stressing fundamentals but all the position groups will be in their own groups working on different things then you go back to full team it was just the way that they were able to go back and forth between preparing for the game 
installing an offense, conditioning and getting these guys up to speed after an offseason where they had no offseason program and no offseason conditioning program. It reminded me a lot of one of those early Chip Kelly practices. Now Kelly flamed out in the NFL, but you got to remember, he went 10-6 and and won a division in his first season as the Eagles head coach. So the methodology works. It just, the problem came in with Chip Kelly is that he didn't adapt and he graded on his players. The one moment where I think is kind of the, the takeaway moment from this camp, it's not when the first practice you saw players and position coaches running laps for punishment. It's not, you know, reaming out Saquon Barkley in front of the press or taking the numbers and, and the names off the back of the jerseys. It, it's the, the last practice before this scrimmage where they ran the slip and slide drill, which Bill Belichick and the Patriots run at least once a summer where you have a player hose down the field and they, they fall to the ground, dive to the ground to try to recover the fumble. And Judge jumped in at the end and did it himself. And you saw the player's reaction to that. They loved it. And I think that while a lot of guys might have been taken aback by the physicality of this camp and the way that they were being treated by the end of the camp it seems like judge and this coaching staff have done a really nice job not just through the public messaging and kind of protecting the players and not throwing guys under the bus not just because of the way they've coached them up but the way that they've kind of bonded through these practices i think that it's really starting to forge some chemistry um, at the end of this training camp going into the regular season yeah and I, i think ultimately and this might sound cliche as well but you know, the only way we'll know if this works or if Joe Judge's methods are the right ones are if they start winning football games. And if they win football no games, then everybody will love Joe Judge. And if they start losing and they start getting killed and they become the locker room starts tearing apart and people don't like how he, he treats them, then then it'll be an unmitigated disaster. And I and I, I think the one thing is like he's he's drawn a lot of he didn't intend to do this. He's just being Joe Judge, but he drew, he's drawing a lot of attention on his methods. So it's going to be almost like he's under more scrutiny nationwide, uh, depending on how the Giants play this season in particular. Yeah, and I think that because of everything he did was so unconventional during training camp, we're so used to, you know, the formulaic nature of training camp practices where you have an offense period, a defense period, special teams. You know, you have some teach periods where you turn off the music and you're just looking at a play sheet and kind of walking through what each guy does on an individual play. This was up tempo. It was physical. It was a throwback to what a lot of these young guys probably did in college. But this was an unprecedented and different offseason, right? So you had to practice at a higher pace. You had to, in a lot of ways, tackle to the ground more than we've seen teams do in years past because you have to get these guys in hitting shape. You have to get these guys ready to play football in an offseason where they weren't getting together to work out and practice and have three months built in of installation of the playbook and, you know, getting their bodies ready to roll that you would have during a typical camp. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, Judge, like I said, he's absolutely the biggest takeaway. Who who are some guys that like maybe not not like obvious guys that have stood out in camp? Because uh, you've you've seen more practice than I have, just by the nature of I had to miss a little time. But I've seen a, a bunch, and there's a few guys I've seen. But who are some that have stood out to you that you maybe didn't expect to notice? Uh, I think that early on, a guy like Austin Mack, the wide receiver, looked like he was going to catch on and have, you know, maybe even a chance to win a roster spot, but he faded down the stretch. I think David Sills, you know, kind of came on out of nowhere. I thought he was a guy that might be fighting for a roster spot. He's in the mix for the number four, number five wide receiver job at this point. And I know he didn't practice in the scrimmage and he had some sort of injury issue going on. But if there were a sleeper, if there were a guy that would win the, wow, look at him, he's the training camp standout. He's the guy that 
you know, fans would be raving about for two or three months during camp if they were able to watch practices. I think Sills would be the guy. Uh, but I, I think my biggest takeaway, Zach, are, are two players who are expected to play pivotal roles. It's Evan Ingram and it's Leonard Williams because Ingram looks healthy. He looks fast. He looks as, as explosive as I've seen him at any point over the last two or three years. We know the Giants are going to be, you know, th- funneling the passing offense through the tight end position. And he looks more than ready to go and take on that workload. If he can stay healthy, he could emerge as one of the game's top tight ends this year. And I think on defense, Leonard Williams has been disruptive. He's been better than he was expected to be, in my opinion, as an interior pass rusher. He's been great against the run. And the Giants are high on Leonard Williams. They plan to bring him back as soon as they traded for him on the franchise tag or otherwise. He's playing for a big contract he's playing for his future and you know if this summer is any indication i I think he's going to be really improved over what we've seen from leonard williams the last couple years yeah leonard williams he's definitely especially stood out over the last like week it seems like he's really like re-energized himself and his pass rushing has been really good but we we do have to remind ourselves sometimes that he is like it's it's part of our evaluations are they're playing against the Giants players at those positions. You know what I mean? So it's True. like when Williams is going against the Giants O-line, but yeah, he, he's played uh, better than I expected. A, a few guys that stood out to me, like in terms of non-obvious Devonte Downs has been the big one who I didn't really know anything about before coming into training camp. And he's maybe been their best inside linebacker, or at least most consistent and only healthy one. Um, and he's, he's impressed me. Um, and then, uh, in terms of like the more obvious guys, uh, Sterling Shepard, uh, I think he's pretty clearly Daniel Jones's like favorite wide receiver target. He's thrown it to him quite a bit. Um, he's bit played pretty well. He had a few drops on practice, but over I think overall he's played really well. And then we talked about Darnay Holmes earlier, but just I think one jumped out at me about Sterling Shepard is he looks a lot smoother as a route runner this yeah. summer than I remember him being. And uh, I, I still think that Darius Slayton is kind of the, the the spoon that stirs the drink, so to speak. You know, with the passing offense, I think that the deep ball threat that Slayton is working with Jones is probably what's going to make this passing game go. But you're right. I think that Sterling Shepard, whether it's from the slot or on the outside, had a really nice camp. Yeah. And and then if we're flipping, going to the flip side and talking disappointments, um, a few that stand out to me, uh, Jabril Peppers. uh, I don't think he's necessarily played poorly, but he's cramped up almost every practice and he's had to leave early. Like it's not, that's not an exaggeration. Almost every practice we've been out there, he's cramped up and had to leave. Yeah, uh, I think that I don't know if that's his fault or what, but I, th- I think it's fair to be concerned about the fact that that keeps happening. Um, Ryan Connolly is another one that stands out. They really were hoping to have him come back fully healthy and have like a really good camp. He's only started getting healthy at the end here. So I can't imagine he's going to be able to like be a like major impact in the first couple of games, though. I, I think they still do like him a lot. But those are two guys that like I came in really interested to watch and we haven't really been able to watch them that much. Yeah, I think that one under the radar guy who might or might not make this roster is Garrett Dickerson. You know, he's made a couple of really nice catches on on deep balls, you know, jump balls over the middle, even um, whether it was Colt McCoy or Daniel Jones throwing to him. I don't know that he's going to make the roster over a guy like Eric Tomlinson, who they seem to like and who Colt McCoy threw a touchdown pass to the other day. But if Dickerson gets cut, some team's going to get a pretty good tight end. Yeah, and and to go on the players that have disappointed like Levine Toyolo I haven't seen do anything impressive in camp and they have to keep him because of how much money they just paid him they overpaid that guy but he didn't he hasn't really he's even given up some sacks I think I don't know I, I just don't really get that signing yeah I don't really understand it either for the money I and he didn't really 
play a lot last year for a really good team with the 49ers. Uh, And obviously it's tough to crack the starting lineup when you have George Kittle in the tight end room. But um, even as a blocking tight end, you're right. Nothing really stood out to me from him. But I think he makes the roster because of the contract and because they view him as a guy that can help spring Saquon Barkley. And, you know, Barkley is a guy that looks like he's going to be having an expanded role in the passing game. He caught 91 balls as a rookie. I think that he could push for 105 or 110 catches this year I think that he's going to be a favorite target of Daniel Jones and he looks more explosive and I think what really jumped out to me about Saquon this summer Zach is he looks more patient as a runner behind the line of scrimmage he's not dancing around in the backfield Um, he's waiting for even if it's just that split second for the blocking to to develop in front of him he plants the foot and he goes with a rapid cut Um, we saw that in the scrimmage today and I think that that's going to be something to watch for Saquon in the running game. Yeah, and I think having Deion Lewis around is, is is going to be a positive thing for Saquon too. Actually, good point. Deion, Deion Lewis has looked like he you can't expect, he's not going to be like a number one running back by any stretch, and like you you're still in trouble if Saquon gets hurt. But he he's a, he's a really good pass protector, so he can be the number one. He can be the he can focus on the pass protection if Saquon's not getting better as better at that as they need him to. Um, he's still a good pass catcher, and I think they can line them up together and. You know, we've talked about this before, but I believe that even more now after watching Dion in practice. Yeah, and I think that we're going to see a lot of that. I think you're going to be able to see Saquon Barkley in the slot and Deion Lewis in the backfield. And you have two really multifaceted weapons there. You can hand it off to Deion Lewis. You can throw it to him in the screen game. And something that Pat Shermer and the Giants didn't really do enough of with Saquon Barkley was designing pass plays to get him the ball in space, matched up with a linebacker or a slot cornerback. Saquon Barkley is going to win that matchup almost every time. And you get him the ball in space. Now you have the chance for an explosive play after the catch I think that you're going to see a lot more of that this year in Jason Garrett's scheme yeah and and then even sticking at running back like Wayne Gallman has been a nice surprise uh he obviously came in with a pretty low stock he's probably at least going to make the initial 53-man roster he's the kind of guy that like I mentioned like if there's a veteran running back that gets cut that Joe Judge likes I think they would sign that guy and cut Wayne Gallman but um, I think he's done enough to make the team at least, right? Yeah, I think so too. It was a little bit surprising that they cut Javon Leak last yeah. week. I think that he was the guy who could have probably helped you on kick return or punt return. But, you know, he's an undrafted running back. And, and unfortunately for guys like that, they're kind of a dime a dozen during training camp. And Gallman had a really impressive showing in the scrimmage last week. He's, you know, played really well. He's run hard. I, I thought that this was going to be the end of the line for Wayne Gallman. I walked into this summer thinking that, you know, he was going to be a guy that might be a surprise cut. Maybe he wouldn't even be that big of a surprise that he got cut. But the way that he's finished training camp over the last six or seven days has been pretty impressive. And you start to look at that depth chart and you think, okay, you have Saquon, you have Deion Lewis and you have Gallman. That's a pretty formidable trio of running backs for a team that wants to commit to running the football and believes that that's how you win in today's NFL. Going off of something you just said, so we we should get into this now. Like who who's somebody that you would qualify that you could see being a surprise cut, and who's somebody you think could be a surprise that they make the team? Oh, you threw a curveball there at me with the second part of that question. Yeah, right. I think that Corey Ballantyne is a guy that could get cut. I know that fans have high hopes for him, and he was a sixth-round pick a year ago. Um, so, I, but but he just 
was disappointing last year when he did get the opportunity to play the nickel. I, I thought that he was underwhelming. I think expectations were way too high for him. And I think that in a lot of ways, he's been exposed this summer when asked to cover Darius Slayton on the outside or even at times to cover David Sills on the outside. He just seems overmatched as an outside cornerback. And as we talked about earlier, whether it's Darnay Holmes, Julian Love, or Logan Ryan, the Giants now have quality options at nickel. So the only place for Corey Ballantyne is on the outside. And I just don't think he's a fit there. I don't think he's up to that task. So if I'm going to pick a surprise cut, I think it's going to be Ballantyne. Yeah. Um, surprise cut, man. I, I think Ballantyne would be uh, at the top for me too, honestly. The, the only reason I like, I'm I'm like skeptical of doing that is because they don't really have like other options at, at corner that they'd be able to cut. But um, in terms of like surprise that can make it one that I thought of was Tyler Haycraft, who we talked about earlier, um, mainly just because, like we said, they don't have many guys at the, at, in the depth spots that he's this offensive line and he can play tackle and center apparently. So it seems like they really like him. Um, if there's an undrafted guy that's going to make it, he's probably one of the top candidates. I'm not like confident in that, but in terms of like a surprise, like if he makes the team and teams would be, people would be surprised about that. He'd be a guy I thought of. I think C.J. Board is a guy who had a really nice camp as a wide receiver. They claimed him late off waivers from the Jaguars. I thought he played, he finished pretty strong. But, you know, signing Johnny Holton or trading for Johnny Holton rather kind of throws a monkey wrench in that plan for Board. But Board's a guy that I think he has a chance to stick if you start off the top of your head and you go with Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Golden Tate. And then Corey Coleman, David Sills, if they carry six receivers, then it comes down to Holden and Board. Holden's the better special teams option. Board's probably the better receiver. So we'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, the receiver position is going to be interesting to see what direction. I mean, it seems like David Sills is probably going to be the fifth guy. Corey Coleman kind of locked him. He's a guy we didn't mention, but he had a good, really good camp, I thought. I, I thought so, too. Um, yeah. And yeah, so then it depends. on Like if they keep five or six receivers, I feel like Johnny Holton probably makes it but he's not as much like an actual receiver. So it wouldn't shock me if they kept a six. And if they kept a six, it would probably come down to like CJ board, Alex Bachman, who had a pretty good camp or uh, yeah. Or Austin Mack maybe could sneak on, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how, what direction they go receiver to. Yeah. And the 53 man roster is always a lot of fun. It's going to be even more fun this time around when you have a 16 man practice squads who have expanded yeah. the practice squads and anybody's now eligible for the practice squad. They, they, you know, because of the COVID-19, you can, you can stash six veterans on there. I'll say this. I think that when you look at linebacker, I think that position is a little bit deeper than people yeah. anticipated going in. And guys like Cam Brown and Tay Crowder, and, and to a lesser extent, because I think he finished camp pretty strong, Carter Coughlin, those three guys might not make the 53-man roster, but it's going to be a lot easier to put somebody like that who's a rookie on your practice squad than getting somebody like Garrett Dickerson or Grant Haley, who both of them probably on the bubble, maybe outside looking in right now on the practice squad because you have tape of these guys that you don't have on the rookies. Yeah, exactly. And Actually, Cam Brown was one I was thinking of as like a surprise cut possibly because you and I talked about this off air like earlier today. Um, he just like we were we were both intrigued by him coming out. He has really good size. He's like six five, two thirty. Can play inside outside. Um, the Penn State was really high on him, but he just I, I can't tell you a single moment that he's had in camp so far. I haven't seen him make a single play. Um, I don't really know even know how much playing time he's gotten. So he, he if if there's going to be a surprise cut out of like the draft class, I think he would probably be the one. 
I agree. And I think that if you look at that that group of linebackers that they took, they took in round six and seven, I think TJ Brunson's had the best camp. I mean, he dropped the wood on board on a, a catch across the middle on a scrimmage. Looks like a boxcar, you know, in terms of how hard he hits, and he's pretty decent in coverage. So if there's any of those rookie linebackers that I think is close to a lock, I think it's TJ Brunson. Yeah. And I think Tay Crowder is interesting because he's like really athletic and former running back and what I think they could do potentially I don't know if they actually will he's been like banged up lately and sometimes you see teams do like a a red shirt season for a draft pick type player so I'm especially with like the new IR rules I'm curious if they do that with him to try and keep him around without risking like losing him if they really like him yeah that'll be fascinating to see Zach before we get out of here any parting shots or final thoughts yeah I mean I'm I'm the season's around the corner um I'm excited to get this thing going uh again we don't really know what it's going to look like uh, it's things are there's th- some things still up in the air, but the season's starting in time. If you had asked both of us a month ago if that was going to be the case, we would have said no way. Um, I think you and I both were in the same boat on that. But it's it's coming, and and I think next week at this time maybe we'll do like our game by game predictions, and those are always fun too to kind of see what you think about the team before the season, and then seeing how it plays out by the end and how wrong you were. Yeah, I'm excited. And I think the one thing that I've been wrong about is just how well the NFL has been able to do in terms of the COVID-19 testing. And you haven't had outbreaks, even though these guys aren't staying in team hotels and bubbled in during training camp. And I'm hopeful that now that camp breaks and, you know, you have kids going back to school and these players have young kids, that the success can keep up and the season can happen. But regardless, the fact that we are less than 10 days away from NFL football returning, that's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing i'm glad that it's back i'm excited for the season i'm excited and intrigued by what this giants team develops into because you know you look at the talent on the offense and even though the offense didn't really set the world on fire during training camp they were pretty inconsistent there's a lot of talent there i think they've gotten better on defense i don't know how much that translates to wins and losses but i think it's going to be a really interesting team to watch and an interesting team and an interesting head coach to cover Absolutely. And and the whole world's going to be watching the Giants on Monday Night Football. So Joe Judge, um, he's going to have a lot of eyes on him for game one. Yep. So we'll talk to you next week. Once again, if you like what you heard, we would love if you would subscribe to the podcast. Leave us those five-star reviews in the Apple Podcast Store. It's Talk is Cheap. You can follow it on Twitter, the show, at Talk is Cheap NYG. Follow Zach Rosenblatt at Zach Blatt on Twitter. I'm at Matt Lombardo NFL. And of course, you can sign up for the Giants Extra Tech Service. You can text Zach and I. We'll do Q&As. We'll give you our observations. You can just get cut through the, the clutter of social media. Go to NJ dot com slash text zach this was fun as always i'll talk to you next week all right sounds good